Well, thank you so much, and a lot of great things going on. You may wonder why there's so much being said, but there's so many things happening. That's the reason. And next Sunday night, we're looking forward to that gathering together. And Pastor Mike has insisted that there be nothing said financially, but he's not the lead pastor. <laughs> so, that's all that needs to be said. You do whatever you want to do when you come next Sunday night. And, uh, and so, we're just looking forward to a wonderful time together for Mike and Christy. Uh, as you all know, there's never been a pastor and his wife loved more than Pastor Mike and Christy in this church ever. And so, uh, we're looking forward to a, a tremendous time uh, together the next Sunday. And then something we do here after every morning service, we have a pizza that is served for anybody who would like to have some, and there's a little cost to it, but the, if there's any profit, that all goes to helping this Haiti thing that's going on, so which we are so grateful to hear about uh, this morning. And uh, some of you may wonder why I am dressed exactly the way I'm dressed this morning, and I've got to explain it to you. The Sunday that Kevin Campbell preached, he had jeans on, he had a sports jacket, he had a thin tie like this, and preached one of the best messages that's ever been heard in this church. In fact, Pastor Joel, our new upcoming pastor in July, said he was better than 80% of the preachers. And, uh, and so, I need all the help I can get. And so, I decided if I dress this way, maybe I could get on that page as well. Well, we'll see. It remains to be seen. The legacy of all legacies. Why in the world would we say that? Well, I'm going to tell you in a minute. But I will say this. For some people here this morning, this message may not be any help to you whatsoever. For some others, it will mean, may be the greatest help of any message you ever heard. And the difference will be whether you have heard it carefully and whether you have made the right decisions regarding the message because it's all extremely biblically based. It depends totally on what your response is. So, why the title? Well, we believe in following Jesus. He had the greatest legacy of all legacies. And then Paul considered himself an imitator of Christ and a follower of Christ, Paul the apostle, and he certainly had the greatest legacy that we could ever pattern ourselves after. And so, I can say with conviction this morning for the church of Jesus Christ and for all of us as individuals, this, I think, can be the greatest legacy of all legacies. But both Christ and Paul paid a heavy price. I don't want to put all the weight on the heavy price, but I'll tell you this, unless we are willing to pay the heavy price, then we don't get the great joy and blessing and happiness that comes from paying that price. And that's the reason that something ought to be said about the price. And I, th I tried to figure out why it is that it seems as the church is going along, more and more it is declining. I'm talking about in general, not about this church now, but the church in general. And I haven't got that all figured out. But I think one of the things is as Christians, we have become soft because in days gone by, people 
lives were much more challenging and much more difficult, and they didn't have the modern conveniences that we have today. And so, because of that, we just think it should be softer and easier for those of us as Christians. And so, therefore, we're not always willing to pay the price. And you may say, well, what are you talking about when it comes to a price? I want you to look at the screen here and see a verse of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 4 and 16. And Paul is speaking. If you go on and read in this context, you'll see what he's talking about. But he said, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, and the reason his spirit was renewed every day is because he wasn't willing to give up. Because he said, I press on. And as we face the challenges and the hurts and the problems, oh, God, help us that we'll be a part of that legacy no matter what comes or what goes. No matter what the challenge is, no matter how much it may take us out of our comfort zone in serving the Lord and seeing the changes that need to take place, take place in the church, we will never give up. We will press on. Now, I do not want in any way to wallow in any kind of self-pity, and I don't think we should. But I'll tell you what, there is a price. And Sometimes, and I, I'm not going to explain that as it relates to my own place of leadership over the many years that I've tried to follow this legacy and to be a part of this legacy, but there has been a price that needs to be paid. One of the reasons that we are here in this kind of a facility, one of the reasons that we've seen happen what God has blessed us to see happen is because on the part of some totally dependable soldiers of the cross, they were willing to pay a price. And they're willing to stand behind fully what God had called us to be and what God has called us to do. And so, there's been some sacrifices. We've had to sacrifice many times our own likes, what we would like better than what is or our own dislikes, what we don't like, for the sake of the greater good. And it has paid off because there's been people who are willing to pay that kind of a sacrifice. I, I would like to say this, too, in preaching this message this morning. You'll see how important I feel it really is. If I only had one message to preach to the church, only had one chance, only had one kick at the can, this would be the message. And that's the reason that I feel so strong and have such conviction about what I'm wanting to talk about this morning. I want you to look in 1 Thessalonians, it'll be on the screen here, chapter 1 and verses 6 and 7. And Paul talks in the previous part of this verse, he was bragging on the people of that day. And one of the things he said in the third verse was about their great endurance. And I'm telling you, I just thank God upon every remembrance of everybody in this place that has followed this pattern and followed this legacy and has followed Christ in this way because you have endured. And he says, you became imitators of us. Now, that was really something for him to say, you become imitators of us. You know, I mean, who do you think you are? You, you're to say you become imitators of us as though that was something you should do. But it was because 
He had become an imitator of the Lord. He said, you become imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what, when we are yielded like we've heard mentioned to us this morning and surrendered and we have that power of the Holy Spirit, we'll be willing to pay any kind of a price that needs to be paid in order to see God's work go forward. And you have been willing to do that, many of you from, that have been here for an extended period of time. And for those of you who are here for the first time or for those of you who are here are newer, you need to understand clearly the price that brought us from where we were to where we are and the price that we need to continue to pay to see God's work go forward. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles over to Acts chapter 16. And then we're going to follow carefully exactly what Paul did and how Paul functioned. And we read in 1610, after Paul had seen the vision, oh, thank God for people who catch the vision. So Paul had a life-directing mission. That's number one I want you to notice. He had a life-directing mission. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. He had a mission to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That's one thing that isn't talked about a lot in these days, and I don't want to get sidetracked here. But when you've got the call of God that you fought with tooth and nail because you didn't think you were adequate, which is my life story, then you cannot renege on that call. It is so important and so critical. And we've all been called here to be a part of this great army to see the church go forward. And so one of the problems is that we do not have the right purpose and understand what the real purpose of the church is. Now, when I say a problem, i got to define that problem. The church in general seems to be declining like never before. We all read about it almost every day, about churches that are closing up, churches that were once great lighthouses in the community that are being torn down. And I think there's good reason for that, and we need to understand what those reasons are so that we will never succumb to that in this place as we think of the great future that this church has for it, especially when we think of the leadership of Pastor Joel Gravett, who will be coming here the second Sunday of July. Years ago, because I felt like people didn't understand, and it was my responsibility to help them to understand, and I kind of at one time probably blamed them for not understanding, and it wasn't their fault. It's my responsibility as the pastor and the preacher and the teacher to help people to understand. So I spent a lot of time developing what I called the manifesto of the Moncton Wesleyan Church. I'm going to read just a little bit of this this morning because it helps you to, you to understand what's behind what makes the church alive that will cause the church to grow and glow to the glory of God, which is what the church needs to be. When the church is working right, it is the hope of the world. When it's working right. And we want the church to be working right. 
Churches can easily be caught up, and this is what I wrote, in the political merry-go-round of organizational maintenance, which will eventually occupy most of their energy. Just put more cogs in the wheel to produce nothing, and have to oil it and wear out more cogs, and nothing really is happening. Historically, churches in general have a tendency to be preoccupied with the exaltation of their denominational and doctrinal identities. And believe me, when I first came here, and I'm not just talking about this church, but other churches, that was the big thing to articulate what made us different from everybody else and why we thought we were better than others and all of this sort of thing. But no objective, however important, can ever be a substitute for God's basic purpose for his church, that vision, that mission that, we, that Paul talked about. To glorify God, to study the Word, to know and contend for the fundamentals of the faith are absolutely necessary objectives for our church and for our individual lives. However, if Satan can get our eyes off the real cause and purpose onto some very wholesome, important, and worthwhile, but secondary pursuits, he will have subtly but effectively won a great battle. Now listen, it, may, it is possible that more people will be in hell because the church has exercised its energies on secondary matters. Let me read this again. It is possible that more people will be in hell because the church has exercised its energies on secondary matters than because of all the outside forces that we blame it on that there may be that's against the church. Relatively speaking, evangelical Christianity has been in a standstill status quo position here in Atlantic Canada compared to what it should be accomplishing. And God has called us, and he's still calling us, and he's calling you to see that change. And if we can be the lighthouse that he would have us to be, it will be changed. But that can only come about by having the right goal, God's goal for his church. And so I go on to say, May it be clearly understood that our goal, cause, purpose, is to be in harmony with God's goal, cause, and purpose. And you know what that was? To seek and to save those who are lost and to see them get established in that relationship. We must use, and this is how, we're, how the, we cast the vision as to how this was going to happen, and that's how it did happen and a part of why it did happen. We must use every possible method in every possible place at every possible time to reach every possible person for Christ. Everything we do and everything we are is for that purpose. And I'll tell you, when we get focused on that, thank you, Shirley, when we get focused on that, then I'll tell you, we will not be going all off in different directions. There will be a unity that will bring God's people together. Nothing will stop us. Nothing will stop us if we have a mission that matters enough. It's got to more than just matter. It's got to matter enough. And it's got to be deep enough and strong enough and enough conviction for it. Nothing will stop us if we have that kind of a spirit. Not even our selfish tendencies, which we all have, because we all like our comfort, and we all like things the way we like things. But that will matter less and less if we have a mission that truly does matter, that is in harmony with God's mission and his purpose. And then we will find the joy that comes from paying the price that we're talking about. We will be powered by purpose because happiness is the product of meaning. 
meaning means that we will become a means. Did you get that? Amen. And so when we become a part of that plan, we become the means to that end. Then we will find the meaning that comes when we're willing to pay the price, and it'll be worth every price that we ever had to pay in order to see that come to pass to the glory of God. Someone has put it this way, there's more failure as a result of lack of mission than lack of talent. Now, I thank God for all the talent, but I've been in churches. Listen, I, I, I'm thinking, it's funny how this popped into my head right now. I was in a church that the music ministry of that place was uh, most comprehensive and most, had most diversity of any place I'd ever been in my life, and that church was full of people 70 and above and dying on the vine. It's not just going to be having a, a good talent, having good talent and whatever else. It's the mission. More failure because of lack of mission than lack of talent. Number two. I'm looking up here. I forgot to look at that clock when I started. Hallelujah. This is going to be a wonderful morning for me. Not for you, but for me. Paul had a life-changing message. He had life-engaging methods. Now, I want you to see Paul's method, a life-engaging method. That would be found in the next chapter, 17 and verse 2, which to me is a, there's a principle there that is, it is the most interesting principle uh, in that second verse. It says, as his custom was, this was his method. This is the way he did what he did in that day. Paul went into the synagogue on the three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now, can you imagine what it would be like if we used that method today? We say, now, the best method is for me to go down here to the synagogue and preach in the synagogue, and that's how we're going to reach Moncton for Christ. That method today is totally obsolete. And you know what's happening with a good many churches? They're using the same old, same old, same old, same old, same old, same old methods that are long since obsolete. Maybe 50 years ago, they worked like crazy. Maybe 50 years ago, they were, uh, had a tremendous impact. And that's where we get deceived because we think because something worked well in the past, it's going to work well both now and forevermore. That is not the principle here. We have to do what connects with the culture. We have to do what that speaks to the culture, that communicates to the culture, to find the language of the culture, not to compromise ever with the culture, but be able to do whatever we need to do in order to have the method that is going to, commute, to communicate the message in the very best way. But you know some, as leader of the Buckingham Leadership Institute, I go to a lot of churches that are doing the same old, same old, but there's one upside. There's one great upside. If 1955 ever rolls around again, they will be ready. But I'll tell you, this is not 1955. And if there's any church, if there's any organization 
that should be more advanced, more creative, more with the times, speak the language of the culture more than any other organization in the world with the, with the message that is so critical and so important, a message that's going to mean heaven or hell for people. Should it not be the church of Jesus Christ to be willing to pay the price, to make the sacrifice, to do whatever we need to do, whether we like it or not? has nothing to do with what I like. It's nothing to do with you like. Say, I don't, that doesn't make me comfortable. Well, join the club. Doesn't make me comfortable either. But what's that got to do with anything? Nothing whatsoever. It's a matter of getting that message out there. Now, I might say this right while I think of it. We've made wrong judgment calls on how to do that. And when you're trying to do your best and you're trying to figure out the best way, we're going to make some wrong judgments and we're going to have to apologize for that and all the rest. I um, had a recent meeting that lasted for three hours with a bishop of a large mainline denomination here in New Brunswick. And when he left that meeting, I was really impressed with his spirit. He said, unless we change how we do things, he said, 20 years from now, we'll be putting locks on the doors. Oh, we can have our comfort and watch everything die. And that's not paying a price of any kind like Paul was willing to pay in order to get the job done that needed to be done. If, I, if we understand and accept the purpose, we'll be willing to do anything to see that purpose fulfilled short of sin. Anything. If it's going to help us get the message out there and see people coming to Christ. Someone has said this this way. I wish it was me that said it. I can't remember. Maybe it was. <laughs> he who rejects change is the architect of decay. Is it any wonder why Hundreds, thousands of churches are decaying and dying on the vine. Not willing. Surely you're pretty loud, but you've got to speak louder. Not only life-engaging methods, but life-changing message. Now, this is where people get confused and where, unbelievable, I can't I hardly imagine how such smart people in, with all the education you could ever imagine in some denominations have got this backwards. Someone has said about Billy Graham, he set preaching back a hundred years. Billy Graham said, that was not my intention. My intention was to set it back 2,000 years so that I could preach the message that was preached 2,000 years ago that is just as relevant today as any message and, more fact, more relevant today than any message that could ever be preached because we read in Acts 17.2 or 17, he's, uh, excuse me, 17.3, we read these words. Here he is, Paul explaining and proving, now this was in the synagogue, that was tough business, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer. In other words, he died on a cross, 
and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I am complaining to you is the Christ. We see uh, uh, Peter standing before the Sanhedrin that could have had him killed, and he would boldly said, and had every possibility of the, him being killed, but he didn't restrain, he didn't hold back the message, one little iota, and the message can never, ever, 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 ever be compromised because he said, Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. And I'll tell you, my friends, we need to preach that message because that is the heart of it. That is the transforming power of it. That is what is going to bring life and vitality and energy and excitement, no matter what the price may be, to pay to preach that kind of a message. I had a leader, and I don't like to mention denominations, but I don't know how else to say this, and I'm not going to mention the denomination, but a denomination is just tanking to the point where one of the pastors said to me, unless we change, in 20 years, we will, 25 years, he said, we will be extinct. This was the number one denomination in all of Canada at one time because I went into the history. Because I have an office at Kingswood in the library, and I dug out some books from the library and read the history of this denomination. I couldn't figure out how was it all these great churches all over Atlantic Canada were built and what caused them to, to grow and, and what caused them to have such uh, vitality. And so I read back in the 1800s and, and in the early 1900s and what was happening, and those churches were born in revival. People coming to Christ. I read about one church that's not that far from here who, in a revival meeting, had 500 people saved over a few weeks of revival meetings. 500 people saved so that they had to build a new big building to house all of the converts. But they thought they needed to compromise the message. And they have torn that building down since. This is serious business. This is serious business. When I think of that, I remember when we think of life-changing message, I had a leader of a denomination and a pastor come to see me up in this office here. He was the head honcho for that particular denomination for all of Atlantic Canada. They wanted to find out why this church was growing. They wanted to find out what we were doing, what was making it happen. And so I started talking about the fact that we need to change. And the pastor spoke, well, he said, you sound like one of our pastors. And I said, oh, hold it here. Hold it, hold it, hold it. He thought I was talking about changing the message. Never, never, never. The message will remain the core and the heart and the transforming power of the church both now until Jesus comes. And may God help us to never, ever back off on that. So, a life-changing message, life-building muscle. Do we ever need that in the church of Jesus Christ today? Some people that will stand up 
that will stand behind it, that will stand with it, that will stay with it, that will stick with it, that will see it through. As Paul admonished those people in Thessalonia, that they would, that he admonished them because of their endurance. That was the thing that stood out to him. And so we read in 17, 5, and 10, explaining, excuse me, 17, 5, and 10. If we've got that there someplace. You know something, guy at the soundboard went sound asleep. <laughs> no, he's a good guy. Maybe we didn't have it there. Well, we can get rid of this one and, uh, and get five and ten. I want to read it from there because I want to point, I want everybody to see that. Acts 17, verses 5 and verse 10. But here's what it says. But the Jews were jealous, and they rounded up some bad characters. I probably, I, I got to stop and apologize here. Most likely, nine chances out of ten, I didn't even give him that verse to start with. That's the reason it's not there, so you need to hear that. The Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace and formed a mob and started a riot in the city. Now, this is the craziest thing I ever saw. You know what that Paul did? They had to get out of there or they would have been killed. They went on to Berea. And and at verse 10, it says, As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And on arriving there, they went into the Jewish synagogue and did the same crazy thing all over again, preaching to those Jewish people, Christ suffering, risen, crucified Savior. Nothing was going to deter them, no matter what the jealousies or what the reaction. You see... Purpose always has a price. If we're going to see the purpose through, there's a price to see the purpose through. We can be powered by the problems, not defeated by the problems. We can be powered by the problems. If we look at those problems and those setbacks on those, the opposition and the hurts in the right way. You know, when I first came here and we first started seeing things grow and the church was booming at those beginning days after we'd been here for a period of time, we had everybody against us. Even in our own denomination, some of our own denomination leaders didn't understand what in the world we were doing and kind of poo-pooed what we were doing. We had other evangelicals in this city and around that were making fun of us and totally opposed to what we were trying to accomplish and just thought it was something that was not for the church of today. And we had a hurting staff, small staff, but they were hurting because of all this opposition, all this negative stuff that was being said. It wasn't any fun. But I remember saying to the staff, and I'll never forget this, I said, if we keep our noses clean, we are right now in a no man's land. But some of these days when things begin to really continue to happen and, 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 they're, and they're wondering what is going on, they'll be beating our path to our door to find out what is happening and why our church is going forward like it's going forward. And that prophecy, I'll tell you what, has come true like you would never, ever imagine because I'm invited to all denominations just about to, to talk about the principles and what it takes to see the church go forward. I remember a representative sent by the Moncton Ministerial came to see me. Now, the Moncton Ministerial consisted of all denominations at that time. And so he said, we hear what you're doing. We don't understand it. He said, I've been asked to come and talk to you about it. I remember they met in my little tiny office that I had at the time upstairs. 
And uh, so I explained to them. They said, we just want to know if you're doing what they say you're doing. So I said, what, I said, what do they say I'm doing? Well, everything they said I was doing, I was doing. And so after I explained that to them, they said, well, and the, I remember that I can see it as if it happened yesterday. The man that was the main guy that was sent on behalf of the minister looked up at the ceiling, looked down at the floor. He said, he said you know what the problem is? He said, you're getting the numbers. You're seeing the place grow. We're losing the numbers, and we're jealous. thought that was quite interesting. And there was a layman from the Catholic church there with him, and the Catholic guy brightened up, and he said, you know, when Father George heard I was coming over here, he said, why don't you find out what they're doing? <laughs> well, and there are some wonderful Catholic people that are seeking to honor the Lord and to be a lighthouse and to go forward and persevere, and we praise God for that. But somehow or another, we have got to have some muscle. We can't be soft. We've got to be strong at the, in this time of great need when everything around us is dying. And there's a few, there's a few lighthouses, but there are very few. I, I didn't know there were so few until I left here and was out around and, and going to different cities and towns and villages and talking about the stuff that I'm talking about with you here now. And then I saw just how desperate things really were. Some people create difficulties. Others are created by the difficulties. We're going to have difficulties, but I hope we all become better people, stronger people, more on fire people, more godly people because of those difficulties. And that would be a good place, Shirley, for you to say something and everybody else to say amen. So what's the point of all this? The point is, purpose is how we will reach and serve others. If we don't have purpose, we're, we're dead in the water. Our purpose is His purpose, that He come to seek and, came to seek and to save those who are lost. So if there's no service, Oh, no, you got it right. Leave it there. Just move back there where you were. No service, no purpose, no purpose, no service. And so if we've got a purpose that we're willing to pay the price for, if it needs to be practically to die for and to stand true to and to stand up for and to be strong regardless of whether it's our cup of tea or our comfort zone, we are willing to pay that price for the sake of what? The greater good of seeing people come to know Christ and get saved and come to know what it is to be transformed by the power of the gospel. We're willing to do that and to reach out. So remember, Remember, even though some will not understand, whatever we do is for the highest purpose of all, to seek and to save those who are lost and see those people grounded in the faith. You may question, and I understand that that's not a problem, and you probably need to talk to somebody. Some of the things that we do, way we do certain things, regardless of the judgment call, whether they're all correct or some of them are not the best, Here's what I need for you to hear. When you, if you were in on some of the discussions in dealing with some of the things that we plan to do and we do in the past and will do in the future, 
that may be controversial even. Our heart is as pure as the driven snow. The motive is as pure as it can possibly be, and that is to be in harmony with his purpose in order to get more people on the road to heaven, more people transformed by the power of Christ. So, there is no meaning if I'm not willing to live beyond me. When I live, when we live for ourselves, we become smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's the reason I thank God for the people who have sacrificed their own ideas and their own comfort zone, because they have become bigger and bigger and bigger in their spirit and in their influence to the glory of God. Hallelujah. So, we, God helping us, will press on because we have a life-directing vision, a life-engaging method or methods, a life-changing message, and life-building muscle. Amen.